You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. My name is Rob, and I'm a Canadian airline pilot, and this is my crew. Mr. Prime Minister, our lives are in danger, and we need your help. I find it more than a little bit strange that a five-person Canadian flight crew has been detained in the Dominican Republic for weeks now. As you heard, they have vocally petitioned our Prime Minister for help. They are still being detained without being charged with a crime. And yet, I'm surprised because it's not a bigger story. It's not being ignored, don't get me wrong. People, including our guest today, are covering it. But there's no question that it simply hasn't resonated the way other incidents of Canadians being detained abroad have in the past. So why is that? Part of it is surely because there's so much that we don't know about the mysterious circumstances surrounding their detention. So what do we know? What has the Canadian government done for these people so far? And what might they still be reluctant to do? Oh, and finally, if the flight crew was detained, then what happened to the seven passengers they were supposed to fly back to Toronto? Who are those passengers? And where are they right now? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Tracy Lindemann is a Canadian journalist who has been covering the story of this flight crew for The Guardian. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Tracy, who were the five Canadians that we're talking about today? What do they do? Uh, Yeah, so the five members of the Pivot Airlines crew, um, you know, there's a pilot, uh, there was a maintenance engineer, a couple flight attendants. And so there are five uh, Canadian citizens who were working on that aircraft, um, in addition to, I believe, seven passengers who were on board the flight. And what happened on the flight? Like, how did this story begin? So on April 5th, the maintenance engineer, his name is Balkrishna Dubey, uh, he was doing his final checks uh, and he went into the maintenance bay of the aircraft that they were supposed to fly back to Toronto Pearson. And he went in there and he saw some bags and they were just black duffel bags. He didn't open them. They didn't see what was inside. The pilot told me, you know, according to the rules, they just uh, flagged it to local authorities and to the RCMP. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it was the local authorities who took the bags out and looked inside. So when they flagged the bags, they didn't know what was inside them. It was just that in the maintenance bay, which is a place where bags are not supposed to be, it's like a room, a small room, like full of computers, machines, stuff like that, that's really critical to the operation of the flight. You know, there were bags stashed in there and that, you know, the pilot was uh, very clear with me when I interviewed him that, you know, that could have been dangerous if a bag moved in the you know, while the plane was in air, like it could have shut off a machine or, or done something else to that effect. Right. And so it was a big deal that those bags were in there. And <laughs> what was interesting uh, to me uh, is that the pilot, um, when I interviewed him, he, he mentioned how um, there were actually eight bags inside, but that 
the police, when they arrived, they only took out a few and then closed the door. And then when uh, the maintenance engineer went back to check on the door, it wouldn't close. And when he opened the door back up, there were still more bags inside. And so, uh, you know, they had to flag down the police again and have them take out the additional bags. Okay, everybody's waiting for me to ask you, what was in the bags? Uh, Well, there were lots of little bags of uh, cocaine or, you know, what is suspected to be cocaine, I suppose. And it seemed as though it was about... 200 kilos of cocaine in those bags. There were eight bags. What is 200 kilos of cocaine worth on the street? They're saying that it's worth about 25 million. So the flight crew finds these bags, uh, calls the authorities, brings them in. They open it up. They find cocaine. What happens next? And what was the crew expecting at this point? Yeah, well, I I think the crew um, just kind of stood on the tarmac watching uh, you know, the authorities do their thing. And, you know, <laughs> as is the case uh, in a lot of these situations, you know, the police took photos of the contraband, uh, you know, featuring the con- contraband itself and then featuring them with their dogs and the contraband in the pictures. And they kind of use these pictures for their press releases that they put up on the government website, talking about all the successful drug busts they've made um, to show that they're doing a good job. And so, the, you know, the crew's just kind of sitting there watching and the pilot was telling me that the cops were letting them like play with the dogs, touch the dogs, pet the dogs. Uh, and everyone's just kind of standing around, not doing anything. And then, you know, they get put in a room and then they end up waiting for a few hours. And then all of a sudden, apparently local drug enforcement uh, agents showed up and then took them away. <laughs> and uh, eventually they ended up being put in jail. You know, I would expect, um, Assuming that, you know, the crew is innocent, you you find this stuff, you're helping the police out, you get congratulated, you get a reward, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they thought they were going to get. Um, that is not what happened. Well, when we say they were put in jail, like, what kind of jail? Where did they go? I don't know which jail it was, um, but uh, as the pilot Robert DiVananzo told me, um, you know, the four men that were part of the crew, because there was a, one woman and she was put in a separate place. Um, the four men were all put together in the same cell with maybe a couple dozen other inmates. And it was a pretty small cell. He told me it might have been maybe 12 feet by 12 feet, maybe 13 by 13. And I guess it was some kind of holding cell. You know, maybe not people who are who have been sentenced or anything like that, but people who are just kind of are scooped up and put in jail. Um, pending any kind of further court proceedings. And so they were there for nine days. And according to them, once the inmates that were in their cell found out who they were, what they were doing, you know, they they started getting threatened uh, by some of the inmates. You know, you have to send us money or we're going to hurt you uh, and that kind of thing. Like, again, according to the pilot, he was telling me that you know, they had to sleep standing up. Uh, sometimes the inmates kind of forced them to sleep next to the hole in the floor that served as a toilet. You know, I, I can imagine they probably didn't sleep very much uh, given those circumstances. And so, you know, maybe not a lot of food, not a lot of water, not a lot of sleep. They described it as, you know, hellish. And so, you know, they were just kind of facing these threats day in and day out until they finally got out on bail uh, nine days later. Why did it take them nine days to make bail? And where are they right now? So I don't know why it took nine days for them to get out of jail. I guess it was they were waiting for a court date in which they were able to get bail uh, put in place. 
And then as far as I know, they won't tell me where they are. They won't tell me like what city they're in or, you know, what's around them. If it's, if they're in the middle of a city, if they're in the middle of a jungle, like I have no idea, but it seems as though they're in some kind of uh, safe house with armed security, a 24 hour armed security, which, um, you know, according to Pivot is paid by Pivot. Nine days in a tiny Dominican jail is a really long time uh, if these Canadians are innocent, especially under those conditions. During those nine days, what do we know about uh, what our government was doing? I don't know much about what they were doing. And I also, from what they've told me, it seems as though maybe they haven't done much. You know, I got some statements uh, from Global Affairs Canada where they talked about, uh, we're aware of the situation and we're working with um, our counterparts in the Dominican on this issue. You know, when they put out that video on Pivot Airlines' uh, Twitter page, they did so uh, because of the Summit of the Americas. They were hoping that they could apply some pressure to force uh, Melanie Jolie to meet with uh, her Dominican counterparts at the summit. And so I don't really know exactly how successful that was, but it's, apparently there's some news about how the Canadian government is starting to talk to the Dominican uh, authorities. Um, just before this interview, I asked the Pivot comms person for an update, and he said, we are incredibly grateful. The prime minister has raised the case of our crew with the Dominican president directly, and the minister of transport emphasized to us the government's shared concern for their safety. With that said, it is clear that more must be done. Do we have Anything concrete that Canada is doing to get them out, get them legal help? I guess what I'm getting at is it sure seems like they're being a little more secretive about what's going on than you would expect them to be, given that there are five Canadians in Dominican custody. Well, 12, if you count the passengers. I mean, they, like, every time I ask them for more information, basically they tell me that they can't for privacy legislation reasons, hmm. <laughs> like privacy law reasons. So, I mean... That's kind of to be expected, frankly, from Global Affairs Canada. Like, they right. often use privacy as a reason to not divulge uh, details about something that's ongoing. And from what I know of the Dominican side of things, you know, the prosecutor's office in the Dominican Republic can um, take up to a year to complete its investigation. And so these people could be stuck there for a year. And uh, I do know that they're very worried about returning to jail. They have told me a couple times now that the prosecutor in their case is looking to have them return to jail. And they've uh, told me also uh, just before this interview that they're supposed to be due back in court in late July on that matter. And if their bail gets revoked, they'll end up back in jail. Have they been charged with anything yet? No, no one has been charged with anything. So they could end up um, sitting in either Dominican house arrest, I guess, or a Dominican jail for months or up to a year without charges. And that's sort of the way the prosecution would be handled. That seems so, yeah. You mentioned seven other passengers. What do we know about them? Do we even know if they're Canadian or who they are? I believe most, if not all, are Canadian. Um a lot of them seem to be from, you know, Alberta, a couple from Ontario. And what I know of them, like I have not been able to get in touch with them or family members yet. Uh, I am looking for a way to contact them. I don't know if they have phone access, internet access. I have no idea where they are. 
what I do know is that there were seven passengers um, on this charter flight. And I think they may have known each other. It seemed as though maybe they were a group of friends from different parts of Canada that were traveling together to the Dominican for vacation. And so that's about all I know. (laughs) And that's mainly from reading other news reports uh, in Dominican newspapers, primarily, as well as an article that I saw on CTV. So we don't even know if they're uh, being held in the same way as the flight crew is currently. We don't know if they're in jail. We don't know if they were just released. No idea. And wow. I don't think Pivot is like responsible for them. Like mm-hmm. I don't think Pivot is is uh, putting them up or anything like that. Like they're they're being also kind of hush hush about what the deal is with these passengers. Like the pilot wouldn't say anything about them. Um, the comms person won't say anything about them. So. I don't know if they're just not concerned with them or if there's something else going on with them that they are not telling us. Well, yeah, I mean, you think, um, first of all, that a five-person flight crew of Canadians uh, being detained like this would be a bigger story. But, I mean, even beyond that, if these seven folks had just gone missing when they were supposed to board a flight, that we'd be hearing from their friends and relatives back in Canada, like, what happened to these people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would think so. You know, there's a lot of stories in the Dominican, not just this year, but it's been going on for many years because of the Dominican's uh, geographic placement kind of between South America and North America. I get the impression that it is, you know, somewhat of a hub for drug trafficking. And if you look on the government police's website, you know, they seize cocaine regularly. And so that would indicate that, you know, there's, you know, it's part of a trafficking route. And so, like, there's a bigger context for what's going on with the Pivot crew and these passengers Hmm. that not everyone uh, fully understands here in Canada. I've been trying to work uh, with uh, Dominican journalists, trying to find maybe some Dominican freelancers who can work with me to help me uh, get documents that are only available at courthouses. If any one of those are listening to this, please get in touch with me because uh, I would love to work with you. So... Yeah, definitely. Like there, there are dimensions to this that are just not known to Canadians because we're not there. I, I do know that uh, Dominican courthouses do, don't publish documents in the same way that Canada does. Right. So that's a whole other barrier to this, uh, to understanding this case. Given that the Dominican Republic is such a popular tourist destination for Canadians. How worried uh, are other airlines or potential passengers or flight crews uh, about? something like this happening again? I mean, it seems sort of one of those pretty random could happen to anyone things. Yeah, definitely. Um, The captain of this uh, flight talked about it a little bit, and then I've seen some other reporting trickling in um, since uh, my story on The Guardian got published about, like, more airlines should be worried about this because the Dominican is a very popular destination for Canadian passengers and Canadian airlines. And so, like, what does this mean? Like, are more Canadians going to be put at risk of similar circumstances where, you know, someone puts drugs on a plane, it gets flagged, uh, and then everyone that's on the plane ends up getting held. Like, this isn't the first time that a flight crew has been detained uh, in the Dominican Republic uh, for suspicion of drug trafficking. Uh, The case that I'm thinking of, of course, was the one in France in which uh, two Uh, flight crew members were actually convicted in France of doing so. But, you know, like this could set a precedent for Canadian travelers. It could set a precedent for other international travelers. And so 
you know, you would think that the Canadian government would be doing a lot of work, I guess, to try and get this resolved because they don't want to set that precedent precedent in terms of, you know, maintaining this diplomatic relationship with the Dominican Republic and other sun destinations where this may happen. This is something you may not be equipped to answer, but I'm going to ask it just because I, I want your opinion as well. It really, really feels like in Canada, this should be a much bigger story and it's not. And usually when something like that happens, it's because something smells a little funny. Like, what's your impression? Yeah, I don't know why it's not big news. Like, maybe part of it is that they were detained April 5th. 500 news cycles ago. (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, I think part of it could be that. Part of it could also be, like, we don't know who these people are. We know nothing of the passengers. It Mm -hmm. feels maybe people feel a bit suspicious of what's happening. You know, the crew uh, clearly maintains its innocence. And I don't, I have not been able to ask anyone who was a passenger on the plane, but I assume that their lawyers are probably advising them not to talk to anybody anyway, um, given the, the, the gravity of the charges they're facing, which are international drug trafficking charges. Right. You know, and they have not been charged. Just again, to reiterate, they're facing these charges. They have not been charged. When you speak to them, because you, you have a line to them, what do they want Canadians to know? And are they aware of, you know, kind of, I'm I'm sure they wish everybody was outraged about it, especially if they're innocent, but are they aware that this is not making enough of a ripple to to get them home quickly? Yeah, to your point earlier, I think because we don't really know what the deal is, right? Like we don't really have a clear picture of like who's responsible for this, like who did this, who put the drugs on the plane and be in that absence of of knowledge, like we're all just kind of like, well, obviously someone on this plane had to know something about it, right? And I think that that kind of uh, is the reason why maybe it hasn't been broadcast so uh, broadly in Canada. But they do want Canada and Canadians to know about what's going on with them. And they want to pressure the government. They want Canadians to pressure the government to bring them home. They're really you know, desperate to come back uh, and to feel safe at home and to participate in the investigation process and judicial process in the Dominican remotely. That's what they want. Um, You know, some of these people have kids, they have young kids, they're married, like it's a major disruption to their lives and to the lives of the people they've left back at home. And I'll just leave with this. There's clearly still um, a good chance that they could end up back in that jail. If the... A court process in late July, like, I don't know what kind of evidence they're going to present. Uh, I don't know much about the Dominican judicial system, but uh, that's the subject of their July hearing is to see if they're going to be put back in jail. And they're really, really, really hoping that they don't get put back in jail. But uh, if they do get put back in jail, they could be up there for maybe 10 months, up to 10 months, if that's the case. I guess we'll see what happens then. Tracy, thank you so much for uh, paying attention to this story and helping us uh, bring it to more Canadians. Yeah, thank you. Tracy Lindemann, writing in The Guardian. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Of course, you can call us hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And as always, you can phone us, leave us a voicemail. We've been getting some great suggestions for episodes. That number is 416-935-5935. 
If you see this podcast in your favorite podcast player and for some reason you have still not reviewed it, please do us all a favor. I'll finally stop bothering you and move on to the next listener. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.